Before we get into today's amazing interview, I want to let you know my 90-day heavy metals detox program. We have a few spots left and we're starting soon. So if you want to learn more, head to ketocampdetox.com or click the link down below. All right, let's get into the episode. Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Dr. Brian Lenskis. I was noticing over time, just throwing drugs at people with diabetes and hypertension and obesity wasn't doing anything. There was no good outcomes. I'm thinking, you know, all we do is think, oh, it's not under control. Next time they come back, give them this drug. And then you double this drug and then you do this. And you start realizing people are getting sicker. Like my aunt, they, she gets sicker. That insulin doesn't make that sugar disappear. It shoves it into your body tissues. That's causing problems down the road. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp podcast, founder of Keto Camp, best-selling author of Keto Flex. I'm so grateful to be with you today. If you want to learn more about me, you could head over to benazadi.com. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Dr. Brian Lenskis. He is doing such incredible work in the low-carb space. He's a low-carb medical doctor. He's the host of two amazing podcasts you got to go subscribe to, Low-Carb MD Podcast with Dr. Tro and Life's Best Medicine Podcast. We start the conversation with his incredible story of pain to purpose and some of the challenges he had following a conventional approach to treating his patients. And once he discovered the truth, attending conferences, learning about insulin and the ketogenic lifestyle and fasting and also the role of stress and toxins, etc., he had a decision to make. And that decision was very difficult because he changed the entire way he practiced and he got some heat and he's going to share about that. We also get into the correlation between high insulin levels and cardiovascular disease and the root cause of heart attacks and strokes and cardiovascular disease. We talk about exercise and the importance of exercise and muscle fibers and specific ways to exercise to lower insulin to prevent and even possibly reverse type 2 diabetes. We talk about why doctors are not necessarily speaking to their patients about diet and lifestyle changes. When I say doctors, I mean the conventional approach. And then he gives a brilliant analogy of how insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes develops in the body and how it takes 5 to 15 years. You're going to want to hear that part of this conversation. Then we get into chronic stress and the importance of mastering your stress and your sleep and so much more. Brian is amazing. I had the privilege, the honor, the pleasure of sharing the stage with him a couple of times, and I'm sure there's a lot more in the future for us. 
and learning from him, hanging out with him in person. He's a genuine human being, a great soul, and you're going to just love today's message. So sit back, relax, take notes, be present. If you want to watch the video interview with Brian Lenskis, that could be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. All podcast interviews can be found video format on our YouTube channel. Hey, before I bring on Brian, I want to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Marnie51. She calls herself from Martha as well, titled Inspiration Plus Education Equals Power. Ben is such an inspirational educator. One part inspiration, one part education. I always feel my mood elevated when listening to these podcasts, and I'm practically guaranteed to learn something useful every episode to help me help others. Paying it forward with every episode, listen to Ben, and you'll be glad you did. Martha, thank you so much. I'm so grateful you're enjoying the episodes and paying it forward, and I'm just so appreciative of you. Thank you. You're so right. We talk about keto, fasting mindset. We cover all areas of health. So the listener, you all listening right now could change your life for the better. So thank you for taking the time to listen and to leave that rating and review. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review yet on whatever podcast platform you're listening from, please take the time to do so right now. It'll really help the show grow. And maybe I will read your review on the next episode. All right, let's get into this episode with Dr. Brian Lenskis. Dr. Brian Lenskis is an incredible human being. He is an internal medicine doctor based in San Diego who has focused much of his attention on clinical nutrition. He owned his own medical practice with a group of physicians from 2004 to 2020. He is the co-host of the popular Low Carb MD podcast, which has more than 1.4 million downloads, probably more than that. He's a professional speaker. He attended UC Irvine and received a Bachelor of Science in Biology before attending the University of Southern California Medical School. After graduating in 1999, he started his residency program at Scripps Mercy Hospital in San Diego. He extended his residency for a year to serve as chief resident before starting his private practice career at Internal Medicine Associates in 2004. He has been voted one of the top doctors in San Diego for 11 years. Even after gaining the medical community and his patients' respect, Dr. Lenskis felt a void as many patients with chronic conditions became sick and required more medications. At the same time, he battled his own weight gain while following standard medical advice. You're going to hear all about that very soon. Here is Dr. Brian Lenskis. Dr. Brian Lenskis, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast, my friend. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor. I, I've had the pleasure of meeting you a couple of times and love what you're doing. You're doing great stuff. So yeah, it's an honor to be here. It has been a long time coming. I was grateful to share the stage with you three or four years ago before COVID, um, Low Carb USA Boca, and then recently at the Keto Salt Lake in Salt Lake City. And I really just, I love what you're doing. I love your work. Of course, you're your partner in crime, Dr. Tro as well. And I always just love learning from you. And I think what you do really good, Brian, is, yeah, you're working with individuals on a one-on-one basis and you have your clinic. So you're actually in the trenches, which is very important versus just looking at research and making some calls from that. But you're actually in the trenches. But secondly, you actually do a really good job at explaining human physiology and explaining the science for 
the average person to get. And that's going to be a big part of today's conversation. I just, I love what you do. So thank you for joining. And here's where I want to start, Brian, your story. You know, how did you even become a doctor? What were some of the challenges going from conventional wisdom to more of a alternative functional approach? Yeah, it's kind of, a, it's just a crazy journey. I, I always had good grades. I played football and I wrestled in high school, struggled with weight my entire life. My whole family's, my mom's side of the family's a disaster. You know, all my uncles died in their fifties of heart disease and strokes and diabetes complications. So you, you're raised like that. And then, you know, food is your, you know, that's what you go to when you're stressed, when you're happy, when there's a celebration, when there's a funeral, whatever it is. And that just becomes the lifestyle. And, you know, my family would make jokes about it. They go, Hey, we just eat a lot and we enjoy life. And then we die young. It's like, well, I don't think I, I, think I want to not go to med school and work hard and then died when I'm 38 or something, you know? So I think, you know, part of that I started looking at and, 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 and the other thing I saw was, you know, one of my aunts, one of my favorite people, she started getting diabetes complications and, you know, kidney failure and, and, and vision problems, all these things. And, and I would see her at parties and she would eat cake and go, Oh, my doctor said I could just shoot more insulin and eat all the cake I want. And so I started thinking that doesn't make sense. It, that, that just can't be right. And, and, and then she also had a, a bypass, which is, a, you know, a cardiac bypass, uh, cabbage. And, uh, she said, well, it took me, you know, 56 years to get my first one. So now I think I got 56 years till I have trouble again. And she would eat all these bad food and you think, wow, it's, you know, that mindset is so hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my story was in high school, I played football and I was on five foot eight. So I had to gain a bunch of weight to play football on the defensive line. Then I would lose, a, you know, you know, 30, 40 pounds to wrestle. And then I would gain it back again. So, you know, all through high school, I was doing that because it was an advantage of being smaller for, you know, one-on-one -on -one competition, but then being bigger on a team competition. So then I figured I just messed up my metabolism, you know, studied hard, ended up going to UC Irvine undergrad and I had no real desire to go into medicine. I thought I want to do something to help people, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was thinking about maybe physical therapy, doing a training, whatever, you know, athletic trainer or something like that. And, uh, I went down to Mexico with some docs from USC. They were just residents that were, you know, going down to, you know, do a medical clinic. And my buddy goes, Hey, do you want to go down there with those guys? And I say, yeah, it'd be kind of fun. They're probably, you know, snooty doctors, but you know, we'll probably have fun. <laughs> we went and had a great time and, you know, they really influenced me. I saw how much they cared and wanted to help people. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Maybe I'll just apply to med school. And then I ended up going at getting in Wow. luckily to USC and, you know, I'm still paying my med school loans, unfortunately, but, but it was a great experience. And then I, you know, you get into medicine and you want to save the world and you're happy. Then all of a sudden you realize, you know, you're, you're up three days in a row. You're not sleeping. You're stressed all the time mm -hmm. and you start eating more and you get hungry. And, and so I noticed, I told my wife, I said, you know, I know there's something to this sleep deprivation and being hungry all the time, because when I'm on call all night, it's either that or stress. And it's probably a combination of Both, the two. Yeah. And then I would realize the next day I would be hungry all day. I was like, why am I so hungry? And then I noticed everyone else on my team, even the thin people were eating all day the next day. And you realize, oh, there's something to this. And now studies are coming out confirming that. Yeah. You know, sometimes in medicine, we make observations and then you say, I wonder why that's happening. You know, and that's why, you know, low carb and keto and all these things started coming my way because I was noticing over time, just throwing drugs at, at people with diabetes and hypertension and obesity wasn't doing anything. Mm -hmm. There was no good outcomes. And I'm thinking, you know, all we do is think, oh, it's not under control. Next time they come back, give them this drug. And then you double this drug and then you do this. And you start realizing people are getting sicker. Like my aunt, they, she gets sicker. That insulin doesn't make that sugar disappear. It shoves it into your body tissues. That's causing problems down the road, you know? So that's when I started thinking about, you know, I, I thought there has to be a better way than this. And then you, <laughs> the other thing is, it's funny. I'd hear the functional medicine guys and chiropractors would say, well, you know, we'll get you off all your insulin. And I thought these guys are nuts. There's no way. You, and, and really, I thought these guys, this is like malpractice stuff. If you're taking people off insulin, that's impossible because in 
16 years, I never took anyone off insulin, right? Wow. And then, you know, I think being looking at observation, I saw one of my patients come in and he lost 30 pounds. He's still my patient today, actually. He's a great guy. And I said, what are you doing? He said, you're not going to like it. You're going to get mad at me. I said, well, tell me what you're doing. He said, I'm doing the fast diet. I said, there's no such thing as a fast diet. If it was, I would be doing it, you know? <laughs> and uh, he said, no, I fast two days a week. I, I don't eat any carbs those days. And then the other days I eat whatever I want. And he's lost 36 pounds or something ridiculous. I said, that's impossible. I said, if you starve yourself on Tuesday, then you must eat twice as much on Wednesday to make up for it. He said, no, I'm not hungry that next day. I have to force myself to eat. I go, that doesn't make sense. And so I started looking it up. I started researching. I'm like, it's working for him, so I'm not going to argue with my patient. So I said, let me look into this. So I did. And I looked into it, and I come across, of all people, Jason Fung, who's talking about insulin resistance, metabolic disease, and fasting. And I think, oh, my gosh, what's this guy selling? And I wait till the end of the video, and he's not selling anything. And I said, well, what do you, he's talking about fasting. Maybe there's something to this. So then I started going down that avenue and looking. And I actually reached out to Jason and he helped me a lot. He taught me a lot because my, I was at that time I was pre-diabetic and I, my A1C was elevated 5.9. My sugars were running in the one twenties and I knew I was on that road and I didn't know how to fix it because I was eating the ADA's recommended diet and I was having green shakes for breakfast. My wife would get up, make me green shake. Now we laugh. So she was trying to kill me. Right. But but she's metabolically healthy, so she was eating green shakes and losing weight. I'm doing the same thing. We eat the same exact food. I'm twice her size, and I work out six days a week, and I'm gaining weight, and she's losing weight. I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? There's some metabolic problem, right? And you start having to look into it. So that's, that's kind of how the journey started. And then what happens, I started losing weight, and my patients were saying, Doc, you're losing weight. Your coat's loose on you and all that kind of stuff. And what are you doing? I said, well, I can't really talk to you about it. <laughs> Right. But off the record, if you want to know, here's what I'm doing, but I can't recommend this to you, which is insane, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's uh, what a story. And yeah, I know one of your big goals was to help doc, Dr. Jason Fung out with his social media presence, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend. We, we love him. And, uh, you know, I want to know, because it's really respectable, Brian, and admirable, because you, you came across the truth, right? low carb, intermittent fasting, and you were kind of hesitant to share it with your patients in a clinical setting, but off air, if you will, you would share it with them. But how difficult was it for you to start changing your entire mindset and entire practice? Because it's one thing to discover the truth and what really could help reverse these conditions. But the second step is to admit, I was wrong about this, I was wrong about that. Did you struggle with that? And how was that transition for you? Were you getting some backlash from your colleagues who were like, you're crazy the way that you thought about the chiropractors? Yeah, you know, it's true. I did get a lot of backlash. And then, you know, fortunately, I, I would flip, my, flip the camera around to show you, but I have a bunch of old textbooks. And so my partner, who's an endocrinologist, would come in and go, Brian, what the heck are you doing? Like, you're crazy. I said, look, I've had 11 people come off insulin. How many of you had come off insulin? I had 11 people in six months come off insulin. That's when I was like, but... The only reason I could do that, you know, I went to uh, Low Carb USA, as a matter of fact, as we were talking, and um, uh, there was Jeff Gerber, who, who's a, a Denver's diet doctor. He was there, so I had a chance to sit down and talk to him because I wanted to talk to other doctors' practice and say, hey, look, is this crazy? What are you doing? What's your clinical experience, right? I can't just jump on any fad that comes along and then I'm wrong. But I was seeing, and, and so all these people coming off insulin happened after I went to this conference. So that's why I love doing those, the low carb USA. Cause I, I love to pay back because when I was there, I sat down with Ivor Cummins, got to talk to him. I got to hear, you know, some great stories about some of these docs who were doing it. Georgia Eve was there tons of people. And I'm thinking they're psychiatrists. There's a, you know, oncologists, there's all these different spectrums of medicines, not just about losing weight and diabetes, you know, dementia, Parkinson's, all these things we worry about. I'm like, these are legit scientists and they presented their data. And I said, there's data behind this, you know? So 
So I start looking at it and I start having success. And, and the best success was, you know, my old partner was giving me a hard time. He goes, Brian, this is, and he said, it's crazy what you're doing. And I said, why is that? Tell me why it's crazy and I'll, we'll talk about it. And he said, well, diabetics, if they need insulin, they have to have insulin with each meal. And then there's a, usually a long acting that covers you all day to bring that top level down. And then you give meal time to cover what you're eating. And I said, well, okay, let's say your patient doesn't, gets up in the morning and they, they're on insulin three times a day plus a long acting. So breakfast, they get up and they're, they feel ill and they can't eat breakfast. What do you do? He said, well, we don't give them insulin. Well, why not? Because they're not eating any carbohydrates. Yeah. Um. Right? <laughs> I said, okay. Then what happens if lunch times comes and they can't eat anything? Do you still give them the insulin? No, because they'll get low sugar. He goes, that's what I'm concerned about. They're going to get low sugars. I said, well, if they're not taking the mealtime insulin because they don't need it, they're not going to get low sugars. He said, but the long acting will give them low sugars because they're shooting that every night. I said, well, then you come back on the long acting, right? You just get rid of it. Then you're, you're treating the medicine, not the patient. You're treating the medicine that you're giving them. So what are you doing? Or they'll give, or they'll give them like little candies and, and things to get their glucose up if they go hypoglycemic. Like, yeah. That happened with my dad. Carry around these candies just in case your sugars drop too low, too low from the insulin. Yeah. And you sharing your story about your dad really impacted me because I saw that. I saw the disasters and I saw people coming to me. You know, a lot of people came to me and they already had an amputation or they already had kidney failure. They had all these things and they would tell me, Gosh, I wish I knew you 10 years ago. We could have prevented this. And I said, 10 years ago, I couldn't have helped you, right? I didn't know this stuff. I mean, we were taught this is what you do. And all of our training came through pharma and food, basically, right? They say, drink all the soda you want. Just exercise more, right? Just go and exercise. You're just lazy. That's your problem. So we've all bought into that. Then when you start realizing these people are smart people. I have PhDs, you know, MDs, people who are very accomplished. They're not dumb people. And they're getting weight. I'm one of them. And, and so I say, how can it be that I'm doing what the right thing? Because it's easy to say the patients aren't listening to you. And that, that was always the feeling is they're not listening. So the classic thing is this. We know insulin makes you gain weight. And, and it's classic to see arguments because we know type 1 diabetics are skinny. Naturally, they're skinny because they can't absorb sugar. And they just, they just pee it all out. Type 2s, when they first get diagnosed, lose a bunch of weight, right? Because they can't make insulin anymore. And then when the sugars are really high and then they lose weight because they're peeing out, their body's doing last ditch effort to get rid of that extra sugar. So when you see, they, how do you feel? Terrible. I'm peeing all the time. My eyes are blurry and they got all these, and people who are diabetic will know what I'm talking about. So, you know, it, it's just so interesting when you start looking at the history of medicine and say, what did they do before we had insulin? They put them on a low carb diet. That's the treatment. So now we get meds and say, just give everyone meds and just keep adding and adding and adding, you know? And what, what I was getting at is, when we put someone on insulin, for sure, they're going to gain 10 or 20 pounds. Anyone out there who's on insulin listening knows that. When you first go on it, you're going to gain weight. Per, per, part of it is because you were peeing out all that extra sugar and you're totally dehydrated. But also it's because that insulin is going to grab the sugar and shove it into your fat store, shove it into your liver, shove it into your tissues. And your sugars come down, but you gain weight. And then when they come back to us you know, a month later and we say, hey, you gained 15 pounds. What's wrong with you? I don't know, doctor. I'm doing what you're telling me. I'm doing the ADs. Right? I'm doing the, what you told me to do. And, and I'm exercising and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm gaining weight. Well, it's because the drug we're giving them, you know? Yeah, I saw that same, same exact thing with my dad. I remember the doctors telling me, this is 10 years ago now. Well, actually, what's, what's, what's really interesting, Brian, is the time that we're recording this for those listening and watching is July 1st. It's actually my dad's birthday today. He would have turned uh, 89 years old, right? And he passed away from the complications of diabetes in August 2014. But I remember with my dad, because I didn't really understand diabetes or any of the things that we we're talking about today. I just, you know, took him to the doctor's appointment, got his medication. I remember one appointment, might have been 2012. They told me, 
in order to get this diabetes more manageable, not to reverse it, but more manageable, he needs to lose some weight. Uh, but then here's the, some insulin for him. He needs to up his insulin dose. And I thought, doesn't the insulin cause him to gain the weight? And you're asking him to lose the weight to help with the diabetes. And they didn't have an answer for me. And I didn't really like force the issue there. But it's a huge mismatch, isn't it? It's a huge mismatch. And that's the problem. And Jason Fung was the first to tell me that. He said, Brian, how do you manage diabetes? And I told him, here's what we do. And he said, okay, when you have someone come in that's a newly diagnosed diabetic, and by the way, for us taking people off meds, that is the ideal patient. They're motivated. They're ready to go. They don't want to be diabetic. And they haven't had all the disaster of high sugar for the last 30 years. It's a lot harder to reverse it that way, right? To get you back metabolically healthy. So he said, check insulin levels on people. I had never in, in 16 years, I never checked an insulin. I go, what the heck are you checking insulin for? It's the A1C that measures the three month sugar average and the sugars. He said, check the insulin. You'll be surprised. And so I started checking insulin every single one of my diabetics. And, and that was the, the aha moment for me was as we talked about going to low carb USA and, um, Ivor Cummins, we were talking about stuff, and he was talking about the, the some of the protocols they do for checking insulin levels. I'm like, what the heck are you checking insulin levels for? And he says, basically, there's a huge correlation with that high insulin levels in cardiovascular disease. And he had data to show that. I looked at the studies. There's some great studies. One from the country of Columbia, which I use daily in my clinic to show patients how much of an impact high insulin level has. And and so I started looking at that, and so I came back. I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if these guys are true or what they're saying. So every patient I had in my practice, and there weren't there were maybe eight people who've had a, a bypass or multiple stents, right, that were non-diabetic, I checked their insulin levels. Every single one of them had astronomical insulin levels. Every single one. One was a 115-pound, you know, 82-year-old female, right? And you think, oh, my gosh, all of them have high insulin. So... Maybe we need, maybe the insulin's the problem, and, and it's the same thing. If you go back, there was a, well, there was a big study in in um, diabetes uh, called the Accord trial, and what they did is they said, okay, let's control our diabetics very strictly and keep their A1C very low, like in the normal range, and see what happens. Mortality went up, all cause mortality, heart attacks went up, everything went, got worse, and the conclusion they came to was, uh oh, uh, we don't want to control the sugars too tightly because it's going to cause problems, right? But the problem was they were using insulin and, and these big dose medications to bring the sugars down. And that was the problem. It was the medication that was causing the, the mortality, higher insulin levels. And you don't, no one made that conclusion. No one looked at it because no one was, even now, I'm telling you, I would say close to 100% of my patients have never had an insulin check before. And then we get it and we, and, and I have people that we can predict, you know, that's, you know, cause you talked about me being a frontline doctor and making clinical observations. But the problem is there's people like Ben Bickman, who's doing great work at BYU and he had data, but no one looked at his data. No one cared about it. And when I looked at it, I said, Oh, that explains exactly what I'm seeing because of his research. But if you don't apply it to, if we don't get together with, with the academia guys, and apply it, we'll never know. And so when you start looking and say, wow, we have 10 years to predict diabetes is coming before we, you don't just wake up with diabetes one day, unless it's an autoimmune problem or type one diabetes, totally different than type two is what I'm referring to. So yeah, it's very, very intriguing. So yeah, I did take heat. Cardiologists I took heat from, you know, a lot of people in town because it was low fat. And I said, look, they're low fat, but their sugars, their A1C is 10. They're in trouble. We got to fix that A1C problem, you know, and their insulin is through the roof, you know, but the idea of saying your insulin is really high, but it's not working anymore. You know, Jason Fung has a perfect example. And, and, you know, when you say that I simplify things, it's because of people like Jason Fung, Tim Noakes, people who get it enough to say, oh, it's like this. It's like a tractor or whatever. You know, you come up with analogies that people can say, oh, OK, makes sense. 
So he was saying, Brian, if someone came to you, right, and they were drinking 12 beers a night, and they go, Doc, look, I like getting drunk, but now I'm, I've been drinking 12 beers a night every night, and I can't get drunk, what should I do? So my choice is either saying, okay, then have 14, 16, 18, 20, keep going higher until you get the effect you want. Or you could say, hey, you know what? That's a lot of beer. It's going to affect your liver and you're going to gain weight. And you're going to feel miserable. You're going to have heartburn. Why don't we cut you down? to this? Let's taper you down for over the next couple of weeks. And then in a month, when you go have a beer with your husband or wife or friend, you just need one. You won't, you'll feel it because you won't be resistant to it anymore. And he said, Brian, this is the same thing with insulin. So if you take someone who's a newly diagnosed diabetic and you put them on insulin and their insulin is already super high, you're making them more insulin resistant. It's like giving more alcohol to someone who, who can't get drunk, right? It's the same thought. And when you realize how your body works, you say, wow, my goal, ultimately, guys like you who are making people more insulin sensitive, right? Lower the insulin level. Then you don't need as much of it to get the effect that you want. And that's what we're learning, you know, through muscle hypertrophy, watching your stress, getting enough sleep, all these things, changing what you're doing, not smoking, you know, all these things that we realize are beneficial, but it seemed like no one's really looking at those things. If you listen to my podcast for some time, you have heard me talking about these digestive enzymes called masszymes from bioptimizers. Masszymes are naturally derived enzymes that digest proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. And these have been a life changer for my digestion. Whether I'm eating carnivore or keto or flexing out of ketosis, masszymes makes a big difference for me and my digestive system's ability to process and digest the nutrients I am consuming. For those of you who have never tried Masszymes, it is your chance, so listen up. This month only, Keto Camp podcast listeners can get a free bottle of Masszymes. Bioptimizers, the makers of Masszymes, are offering a challenge. For my Keto Camp podcast listeners, they are offering a free bottle, and all you have to do is pay the shipping fee. That's it, really. No other purchases required. Their challenge is simple. Try Masszymes and see all of the positive changes of enhanced digestion and nutrient absorption. If your digestion issues, gas, bloating, and fatigue after meals are not gone after you take a full bottle, you've lost nothing. But if they are, your life is back on track. To get your free bottle of Masszymes, head over to masszymes.com slash keto free and enter the coupon code KETOCAMP10. That's it. We'll drop that link down below with the coupon code. So go give it a shot. Let's see what it does for your digestive system. It's masszymes.com slash keto free with the coupon code KETOCAMP10. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I want the audience to really understand what is happening with insulin resistance and how that leads to type 2 diabetes. And ultimately, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, it's actually pretty rare to die from type 2 diabetes. It's the complications of it, right? The kidney failures, the amputations, the infections, the heart disease, the strokes, et cetera. My dad, for example, suffered a stroke from his diabetes and then died nine months after that. But this happens 5, 10, 15 years before that type 2 diabetes diagnosis, which is just looking at the A1C. And when we think about just the adaptability of the human body, how when we just remove the interference, the body will begin to heal itself. So I want you to give an analogy on the train and how that works with the liver, the pushers and all that. So the audience could really understand what's happening, how insulin resistance is being developed. But I also want 
the goal, and I, and I think this should be both Brian and I's goal, by the end of this conversation, everybody who's listening or watching this interview, as soon as you're done, you request a fasting insulin from your doctor. That should be the number one action step. So go ahead, Brian, talk about what's happening with insulin resistance. Yeah, and I will tell you, a lot of organizations, big organizations, big HMOs will not order an insulin. Two-thirds of my patients are from a major HMO that most people would know about, but they won't order an insulin level. They just won't do it because they don't understand the science. And I said, I'll be coming, I'll be glad to, it would hurt my business, but I'd be glad to come talk to you guys about it so you can help your patients. No interest. They don't want to, they don't want to hear it because it's not the standard of care, right? So, you know, it's really, when you look at it, if you think about if you have a train or, you know, We'll just do it as a train. So you have a train and you have 100 seats on your train, right? So overnight while you're sleeping, your body's going to empty the train out. So the people on the train are sugar, right? So overnight, your, your liver, which is your train, is going to be releasing sugar. So during the day when you're eating a bunch of sugar, it goes on your, your train, right? So it's people getting on the train. When you burn it off by exercising like what you're doing, you take people off the train because it's going from your liver to your muscles, and, and that's a safe place to store it as glycogen. The problem is if you're sitting around all day and you're not doing anything, your muscle glycogen is pretty much full and then you eat sugar all day and you have to snack six times a day like they're telling you, then all of a sudden you're filling up all your reserves. And then what? It has to go into your fat reserves. Once your liver's filled up, it goes to your fat reserves. And then if you run out of all those reserves, now you have diabetes. You, it stays in the bloodstream. But you don't want sugar in your bloodstream. So the analogy would be if you have 100 empty seats on your train, you get to the first stop and there's 10 people there. No problem. That would be the analogy of having like strawberries for breakfast or something, right? 10 people get on the train. You still have 90 seats left. You're good to go. You have 100 seats on the train. You have, you have 90 left. Then you get to the next stop. And all of a sudden, now you have 120 people there. And you're like, uh-oh, I only have 100 seats. Now I have 130 people to put in 100 seats. Okay, 30 could stand in the aisle. So you let people stand in the aisle. Now you get to your next stop and you're having a smoothie and, and orange juice and a Coke or something, right? And now all of a sudden you have... 5,000 people waiting. And you're like, uh-oh, my train is almost full. So when I could shove 30 more people on in. What you do is you hire these guys, that you know, anyone who's seen the, the trains in Tokyo, the bullet trains, they start shoving people in during rush hour. So you have three or four guys just shoving people on that train, which is your liver. It's already full. Now you have to hire more and more insulin to try to shove people on top of it. And then you get your next stop and there's a bunch of more people. And you think, oh no, now what am I going to do? My train is full. We cannot push anymore else or we're going to make them into juice, right? There's, they, the, the train is packed and everyone's on top of each other. So then they say, well, instead of putting more people on the train, let's put them on top of the train, right? And so that's fatty liver disease. So then you start getting fatty liver disease, which a lot of people have, and they keep changing the name for it. NASH is what, I, what it was when I learned, and now um, we call it non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And that, you know, so that's the number one cause of cirrhosis in the world. People don't realize that it's passed alcohol for the first time in the history of man. So diabetes, Cokes, and all this. So you're shooting insulin, you're taking all these cookies and all doing your stuff, and it's shoving in there. Now you got fatty liver disease. Now your liver cannot work well for a lot of functions, you know, immune system. There's a lot of functions the liver does, which are very important, right? Memory for, for getting rid of toxins. There's a lot of problems with fatty liver disease. And so now what? So, well, the question becomes is once your train is totally full of people, now you have all these people on top of the train. Well, hiring more pushers help right? There, there's nowhere to put the sugar anymore. Now you have diabetes. I can keep giving you all the insulin I want, but there's nowhere to put it now. So we just give you more and more insulin trying to just really shove those people on top of the other people way up on top instead of saying, okay, wait a minute. Is the problem my train is full? What happens if my train is totally empty? What happens if I have 100 seats on my train and I put 100 people on 
and I take 100 people off, and I put 100 people on, and I take 100 people off, the train's empty. The train's fine. I, that's okay. So some people can get away with more carbohydrates. I think a guy like you is super fit and active enough. If you say, look, I'm, you know, I eat more carbs than you, Brian, you can get away with it. I can't, right? So it's figuring out where your insulin level is, where your triglycerides are. Triglycerides are basically people who could not get on the train. And, and so that tells you, when I see a high triglyceride, it makes me concerned, not because of the triglycerides themselves, but it represents that your train is full, you have fatty liver disease, and you have a ton of people that couldn't get on the train still, and you're set up for diabetes. So most diabetics, if you look at their lab work untreated, they're going to have really high triglycerides in the 300 to 500 range, you know, sometimes over the 1,000 range. LDL could be high or low. It doesn't matter. It, it depends on a, a lot of factors. HDL is really low because HDL is the one trying to fix the track with all that weight on it. And, and so when you get the HDL right and the, the triglycerides come down, we feel a lot better. That means we, we're emptying your train. So now there's people who talk about intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating and eating six small meals throughout the day. Yeah, if you did six small meals throughout the day and they didn't have a lot of sugar on it, you can get away with it. But if you're eating a ton of carbs all the time, you're going to fill up your train if you're not emptying it. So that's why exercise is important and, and stress management and, and movement and all these things. Because the goal is to make your train as empty as possible. Because then when it's the birthday party and you want to go have a piece of cake, you fill up your train. Then you empty it the next day. Big deal. But if you keep filling your train up for three months, guess what? It's going to be overflowing. And you know the other analogy I use that's similar is... For people who've moved, I've moved a lot during my life. And so when you're filling your, your moving truck, the truck comes, you go, oh, we got tons of space. Everyone just throw stuff in there. And you start throwing in your big furniture and everything's in. Then all of a sudden you look behind and you think, oh, no, my truck is, you know, four-fifth full and I still have a lot of stuff. So now I have to hire a bunch of people to help me to move everything around to shove their last things back in there. But if my truck's always empty, the back of it's empty, then I could put stuff in there and then take it off and put it on. So the observation that we've made over the years is that obese people get diabetes. It's true, but one of my favorite patients, he was 158 pounds and had type 2 diabetes, right? It doesn't have to be that bad because it's just if you run out of storage, you know, some people may have, you know, huge trains, like a, a huge long train. And the other one might be like the one at the carnival, you know, with, you could put five people on it. And other people have one where they could put five, like Sean Baker, his, his train could put tons of people on it. And mine, I'm going to fill it up really quickly. So I could look at Sean and go, he could eat carbs all day and I can't, it's not fair. Well, put on more muscle mass and you could eat like Sean Baker yeah. if you want, you know? And he doesn't so, even yeah. eat the carbs even though he could, right? Yeah. He doesn't eat them even though he could. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, we'll talk more about the muscle fibers and, and how that helps with insulin sensitivity. But what you gave um, several great presentations. One of them was low-carb Denver right before uh, COVID started. And you gave an analogy, right? You showed on the screen, right? Of course, we know the bloodstream, optimal levels of glucose, sugar in the bloodstream is about uh, one teaspoon, right? 80 milligrams per deciliter is, is a good number to hit. Liver glycogen, about 100 and 120 grams, which is 25 to 30 teaspoons. And then your skeletal muscle, of course, that's going to different, as you mentioned, but about 400 grams, 100 teaspoons. And then you shared a little bit about the standard American diet, right? Acai bowl, you gave an example, 117 grams of sugar, right? Orange juice, 16 ounces, 52 grams of sugar. And you think about this, how this adds up and adds up, but it's not just the total amount in one meal, it's the frequency throughout the meal. To your point, they're never letting that train empty out. They're just packing it in, packing it in. And I have a, a colleague of mine, Brian, his name is Dr. Don Clum. He's a chiropractor. He did a patient population survey where he had hundreds of patients write down every time they ate something, meaning the definition of that was anytime they raise glucose and insulin, right? And the average was 17 to 23 times per day, okay? 
in that population survey. If you're eating 17 to 23 times per day, even if it's healthy, almonds, kombucha, protein bar, you're going to spike glucose and insulin throughout the entire day and pack that train. And that's what we see essentially with people here in America. 88% of American adults are unhealthy. This is exactly what's happening, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, I, you know, I call it the Walmart phenomenon. If you go to Walmart, anyone who's been to Walmart or you yeah. know, Costco or something, you go and you go like, 300 bucks, I didn't get anything. Yeah, but okay, this was two, this was five, this is seven. And then they go, you got 300 things. Yeah, it's going to add up. So it's like that. And a lot of times we don't count it. Like we don't count like, oh, it's just why. Like in my old practice, I remember they would always have donuts, right? The drug reps are trying to kill us and they would bring donuts and or a bagels, bagels. And like, oh, just, I'm not going to eat a whole bagel. I'm on a diet. So I'm just going to have a little piece of that. I'll walk by. And then, you know, an hour later, you go, oh, I'm going to walk by. And I'm just going to like, as long as you break off the pieces, I don't think there's calories or sugar in it or something. That's what our thinking was about. But, you know, and you realize all those things add up during the day. By the end of the day, you had four donuts, right? But you split it up but it's probably better to split it up like that than eat four donuts at one time because that huge flux of sugar is a problem and and, and i hear you talk about it, a lot of people talk about it. it's the liquid sugar that's the big problem you know if you're drinking you know high fructose corn syrup you know and sodas all day and orange juice and, and smoothies all that sugar overwhelms your system and your body has to spike the insulin to get rid of that sugar and this is the thing that i had to learn because it didn't i had a guy that was he was 158 pounds also and I get his labs back. And this guy was leading expeditions across the Grand Canyon. He's in his mid-70s, six-pack abs, basically. He was very, very fit. And so I get his labs back, and I called the lab. I said, this is a mistake. That's not my patient. You switched the blood. And they said, that's him. We double-checked. We checked his, his wristband and everything. That's him. Okay, he has full-blown diabetes. He weighs 158 pounds. And so I called him. I said, what's going on? I mean, how, how can your sugars be so high? He goes, okay, doc, I'm going to change my life now. I said, what are you doing? He said, well... I'm leading expeditions across the Grand Canyon. So I wake up in the morning, I have French toast and, and syrup and orange juice. And I, I take three Mountain Dews with me on the trip because they're easy. I'm having trail mix. So even though he wasn't fat, he was burning off that sugar, but he still had to spike his insulin to get the sugar out of the bloodstream after eating, right? So a lot of athletes fall into that problem. They say, well, I'm thin. I don't have to worry about this. Get your insulin checked and see where it's at. Because a healthy insulin is less than five by most people's recommendations, right? And it depends what the A1C is. You have to look at both of them in comparison because if your insulin is really low and your sugar is really high, you say, oh, there's a problem. You should have high insulin trying to get rid of that sugar. Some people just don't make enough insulin. And my guy from India, that was his problem. He just didn't make enough insulin. His insulin was low. If I just looked at his insulin, it looks okay. But I've had other uh, one of my other guys from India, his insulin was like 58. And I go, oh, oh you're in trouble. And I predicted he was going to get diabetes. And he was vegetarian. And he goes, how can I get diabetes? I'm vegetarian. I said, you're eating non-bread and rice and mangoes and juices and all this stuff. It adds up and your sugar, you're eating too much sugar. You have to cut the sugar. And he cut his sugars, brought his A1C back down and went back to his old diet. And now he's diabetic. And now I just saw him in January this year and he's an absolute machine. He's working out. He's taking care of himself. He's watching his stress level and his, his A1C is below normal. That's amazing. From being way high, like in the 9, 10 range. Now he's at 4.2 or something. It's incredible. You know, what I love about... What I love about type 2 diabetes, that's a weird way to start a sentence, but what I love about type 2 diabetes is that it, you could reverse it, right? And of course, this is not medical advice, so don't take it as that. But we have seen so many people reverse their type 2 diabetes. It happens all the time. You're seeing it all the time. I'm seeing it all the time. One of my students who you actually interviewed, Triple J, the champ. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, he's awesome. He, yeah. Yeah, he's in my Keto Camp Academy. Like, he did it in... Uh, 
like it's happening all the time, but you need to first become aware of the situation, fasting insulin. So we bypassed that problem, by the way, for those who are having trouble getting their fasting insulin, we work with a company uh, in New York City who sends kits, a finger prick that does fasting insulin, A1C, vitamin D, and, and other metrics, and it's under 200 bucks. And there's other companies that do it as well. So do you have any solutions for that? Like for those who want to get fasting insulin, but their doctors are saying no, besides doing like a kit like that? Yeah, there's a lot of ways around the system. You know, my patients, a lot of my patients are cash pay, right? So they have a high deductible. So we just, you know, they don't want to go through their insurance. And so for me, I get a fasting insulin for $12.95. That's it. $12.95 to get your insulin. But then, you know, adding on lipids and A1C. But, you know, with, I, I use a company called Ulta Labs. And patients can order it directly, but it costs more. So if your doctor will order it, it costs less. So I just give patients my, I don't take any cuts on it. I just give patients my cost and they go order it. So, you know, there's a lot of, ways to get around the system from that standpoint. And, you know, that's, that's one, but, and I think at the pro there's a, a lot of problems and, and part of it's doctors have been trained a certain way and they say, look, I'm not checking stuff. I don't know what to do with it. So I don't want to get information. Then I get in trouble later because I don't know what to do with it. So if we educate the doctors and they know, you know, then they can kind of start changing what they're doing, but otherwise they're just going to say, okay, it's high because I mean, I don't want to get into, I mean, I'll be glad to, but, you know, part of the problem with medicine is that the doctors are time pressed. They, they get judged on how many patients they see a day because they have to be efficient. So if you're seeing a patient every nine minutes, which a lot of uh, insurances do, how are you going to talk about lifestyle and stress and, and sleep and all this stuff in nine minutes when they have 10 medical problems? It's impossible. You cannot do it. it no, the best doctor in the world cannot address those things. So that's the problem is doing, so what you're doing, and this is what I realized too, is man, I could reach a lot more people through a podcast or through, you know, social media than I can in my exam room. Because if I see 20 patients a day and 18 out of the 20 don't care what I'm saying, I might reach two people that I can really help. So I've had experiences, you know, as a matter of fact, in Boca Raton, you know, a lady flew there to meet me and she had lost tons of weight and all of this. And I never met her before. But she took the advice and said, let me start researching. Let me see what Ben's doing. Let me see what everyone's doing. And make myself better. I don't want to just do the standard of care. I got to improve on myself. And so, you know, I'm cheating the system at this point because my patients come to me saying, Hey, look, I don't want to just take meds. I want you to help me get healthier. And now it's like, okay, great. But other people are saying, look, I'm not giving up my cookies. Just give me more insulin. And it's like, I can't help that person. It's not a good fit because any standard doctor can do that. But here's what's coming down the road, right? If you don't fix the underlying the underlying root cause is Ivor Cummins and other people would say, you have to fix the underlying problem. And, and, you know, the addiction to food is real. And there's so many things like that, that are critical. And so having someone like you, because, you know, before I knew you, I'm looking, I'm like, this guy has so much energy. He's like a motivator guy. But does he understand? You get it. And you're helping people and you're motivated. And that's your passion of helping people. And that comes through. You can't fake that, you know? Yeah. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. And you're right. One of the reasons why, most doctors wouldn't order like a fasting insulin or other tests that are experimental. I'm putting that in air quotes is because their treatment is the same. Same thing with thyroid, right? I am always telling my clients and students get a full thyroid panel, not just TSH because TSH actually has nothing to do with the thyroid. It's actually looking at the pituitary, which is stimulating the thyroid. What about T4, T3, reverse T3 antibodies? But their treatment is the same when it comes to thyroid health. So why would they order that? They're just going to say, you know, there's no point to it. So that's why it's important Find guys like Dr. Brian, Dr. Tro. Dr. Brian is in San Diego, by the way. If you want to fly to beautiful San Diego or you live in California, his website is lowcarbmdsandiego.com. Is that correct? 
Yeah, you got it. Thanks. That's the website. We'll put, we'll put your podcast down below as well, but we still have some more ground to cover. So here's what I want to share with you. I've interviewed Dr. Ben Bickman, who we both love and adore. Uh, I'm proud to say I hold the record for interviewing him five times. And he said that is the most, he said, besides his wife, who's interviewed him most, <laughs> more than that. And I, last time I interviewed him, I shared a quote with him. And I wanted to get his thoughts on that quote. And I'm going to share the same quote with you so we could get your thoughts on that quote. And it relates to the entire conversation we're having here, conventional medicine versus alternate medicine, just what's happening in the world. So here's the quote. It's from Alvin Toffler. He said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and then relearn. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that ties back to, you know, I wanted to touch on what you said earlier. It's like, you asked me, hey, how, what did you do when you're saying, okay, you told patients for years not to skip breakfast. You have to eat three meals a day. That's the most important meal a day. You got to get healthy whole grains and all this stuff. It was very easy for me. Once, once I saw the results, it was very easy for me to say I was wrong. I was wrong. I looked at the, that's what we were taught. And now I'm looking at the data and I'm learning from Jason and Fung and I'm listening. For, I was wrong. If you're eating six times a day, let's cut back to three and see what happens. Can we skip the meals in between? And so I've seen some miracles based on that. So you have to, and I think that is, that point is the, it's critical. And in medicine, you know, the, the, the curses of medicine, most doctors want to blend in. You do what everyone else is doing. But what happens if everyone's doing the wrong thing? And at some point you have to step up and say, gosh, darn it, this isn't working. I had to step up. And, and I realized I would take heat for a long time. But then I said, the only way I can really show people I'm doing the right thing is my outcomes. Like, look at my patient, look, look, and the cardiologist, and it would happen all the time. I would debate it with cardiologists saying, look, we know Dr. Unwin, who's doing great work in, in the UK. And, and I just want to make sure, make sure people know that he, he did the sugar model. I learned a lot from him on how much sugar is in each food, right? And you could put it up there and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know there's that much sugar in white rice. That's a big surprise for everyone in French fries because people say, I don't eat sweets. Well, you eat a lot of sugar still, even if you never eat sweets. So what happens is a lot of doctors just say, this is what I learned and I'm sticking with it. Even if you have evidence to show it's not. So when I had evidence saying you can take people off insulin and whether you want to use the term, I like the term probably remission better than if you say I cure type two diabetes, people flip out, <laughs> but I think right. we do. I really do. I think I, I have a patient and, and, and I have a patient who's a pilot and he couldn't fly because they once he was so high they banned it from flying and and because you have to take medicines and if you're on diabetes med once you get low sugars and you're you know flying with all these people it's lives in your hands what's the number what's the number that the a1c do you know for them to fly was it was it neat what is Gosh, it i think the a1c is seven but i think you, you can't be on certain medicines like insulin or glipizide things like that so they'll allow a pilot to fly if their a1c is up to seven I believe so. I don't know the FAA, I, you know, some pilots will, will correct me on that, but I know he was over that limit and he was on medicines. They said he couldn't fly. They grounded him. So he said he found Jason Fung. He found us and we said, okay, let's see what we can do. And we got it, everything normalized. He got a letter from the FAA saying, we no longer consider you to be diabetic. Wow. And so when people say you can't cure diabetes, I'm like, if you no longer consider, like if they say you no longer have cancer, I could assume that I'm cured of cancer. Pretty damn close. Yeah. yeah. So I'll take it either way. If your A1C is running five, okay, we'll take it. I'd say you're, you're, you're in permanent remission, hopefully. Right. And, and so because the reality is this, the reason it's not a cure is the fact that you got type two diabetes already shows you're predisposed to getting it. So if you gain 30 pounds again, then guess what? You'll probably get your diabetes back. And then, you know, the other point where I lost my train of thought was this. So I've started looking at the data and there's great data from Dr. Unwin about high insulin levels. He said, if we get the insulin under control, then blood pressure gets better. 
while we taper medicines, right? And because he was making the point that high insulin causes you to retain sodium in your kidney. So anyone out there with high blood pressure, the doctors say, well, you have high blood pressure, cut your salt. But the salt's the problem because your insulin's high. Because if your insulin's high, you're going to absorb all that salt and you get in trouble. So we have patients all the time with that have had swelling in their feet for 20 years. They drop their insulin level down. The swelling goes away and their blood pressure normalizes. And so the standard guys look at that and say, well, that's just because they lost weight. And that's the thing is, no, it's the, they dropped their insulin, got metabolically healthier. Because I have people, I just had this discussion with another doctor. He goes, well, you know, uh, basically he was saying only obese people. Like anyone obese, you know, they're metabolically sick. I said, no, you don't. I have a lady, she's 420 pounds. She stores all of her fat subcutaneously where we could see it. She has virtually no visceral fat, which is the dangerous fat around the organs, and her liver, she has no fatty liver. Her insulin, her labs are perfect, stellar labs. And so anyone looks at her and they know her labs, and I have other guys who are 150 pounds and their labs are disastrous. So you cannot just tell a book by its cover, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is so interesting. And yeah, I acknowledge you again, Brian, for seeing the truth, seeing what works and making that decision to, to change your ways. And that's what it's about. Like I'm constantly just like you learning new things well, unlearning things and then relearning things. Like for, for example, I just updated my entire second pillar in my academy because there's new research that came out on fasting and different strategies. So I, I took all these videos down and, and re-uploaded new videos. It's like, that's the way it should be. The science is never settled. Things are always changing. We're never going to understand how amazing the human body is and all the amazing things that, that it does. Hey, Keto Camper, it is time to get your shift together. What do I mean? Sugar Shift is a unique probiotic designed as a working system to convert the sugars, glucose, and fructose in your gut to the free radical scavenger mannitol, which also feeds a healthy gut microbiome, supports the mitochondria, and by the way, it increases the production of butyrate, which helps protect the gut lining and is one of the main ketone bodies. You heard of it, beta-hydroxybutyrate. This is one of my favorite formulas. It's an eight-strain formula built as a working system to provide specific gut functions, and it's unique in its probiotic formulation. One of my favorite things about this product is that it breaks down and detoxifies glyphosate. The product also includes strains that has been shown to improve muscle mass and support changes in body mass. I've used it with several of my Keto Camp Academy students, and they have reported to me it's helped them with their sugar cravings. It helped them with their transition from sugar burner to fat burner, helps to keep them in ketosis and take the results to another level, helps when they hit a plateau, improves digestion. In a recent study, BiotaQuest, the company that makes Sugar Shift, showed huge improvements in blood sugar reduction, A1C reduction, also reducing LPS, which is an endotoxin that can create inflammation in your body. If you'd like to get your hands on a bottle of Sugar Shift from BiotaQuest, head to BiotaQuest.com, which is spelled B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T, and then put the coupon code CAMP, K-A-M-P-1-0 at checkout, and also check out their other products as well. We'll drop links down below with the coupon code in the podcast notes. I think it's absolutely amazing. I, I do want to talk about muscle fibers and it's the, having more muscle, the role of muscle and longevity, the role of muscle specific muscle fibers and insulin sensitivity and why you believe, and I know Dr. Ben, uh, uh, I don't know, is he a doctor? Dr. Ben? Yeah, Dr. Ben, he's not a medical doctor, but he's yeah. P double PhD. He's one of the smartest guys around. Yeah. Yeah. Say his full name again? Ben Bikikio. 
I always say his, I always butcher his last name. Ben, Dr. Ben Bikikio yeah. talks a lot about the. So share a little bit about muscle fibers and insulin sensitivity. Well, you know, Ben Bickman, you know, just to give a, a background again on Ben, who we've been talking about. And, and so I said, I, I actually met him at Denver and I'm in the in the gym and it's me and Ben Bickman at like 630 in the morning. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hate, we didn't know each other. So I go, hey, Dr. Vickman, how are you? I'm Brian. And he goes, yeah, Brian, I love your podcast. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you listen to my podcast? I was like, oh, no, like I'm stressed out now. I'm like, oh, geez. He goes, no, I love it. You guys are spot on. I'm like, oh, thank you. So if he agrees, then I feel a, a little bit better about what we're talking about. He, he could have lectured me for two hours. But I said, Ben, look, if I want to live a long life, what do I got to do? And he goes, okay, Brian, five things, right? He goes, number one. Don't work. And at this time, I'm working 16-hour days, and this is why I changed my practice style. He's, I was working 16-hour days, trying to, you know, write all my notes all weekend. I'm working. I was working all the time. And for doctors, we hold that as a badge of of honor. That hey, I only slept three hours last night. How long did you sleep? Four hours. You're lazy, you know. And you don't realize how detrimental that is to everything, right? For so, entrepreneurs too. Entrepreneurs hold that as like a badge of uh, honor to be yeah. proud of that. No, a lot of people say, oh, I don't need sleep. Well, let's see how your mental functioning is with sleeping without and how much, how hungry you're going to be and how your hormones work and how your weight loss goes. Because, I, and I think you and I talked about it. I talked to a couple of people when we were in Utah about, you know, what's more important. If you have to for exercise, guys, go, what's more important, sleep or exercise? They're like, if you have to prioritize, get your sleep. It's pretty amazing, right? That's pretty amazing because I would say, okay, I'll get up at 430 and work out so I can get my exercise in. So he said, basically, number one, you know, don't work yourself to death. And, and next, basically, don't be a stressed out, angry person who doesn't sleep, you know, all those kind of things. Then he said, eat real food, cut out the processed food, right? And then he says, um, exercise regularly and don't smoke or drink to excess. He said, all of those things, if you do it right, will lower your insulin. He said, it's about having low insulin. And then Ben Bikikio, who's a friend of mine, the exercise guy says, no, it's all about muscle mass. And I said, well... And let me think who's right here. They're both smart guys. So is it mutually exclusive? No, the more muscle mass you have, as we talked about with uh, Sean Baker, the more muscle mass you have, the more insulin sensitive you are. You don't need that much. If you're working out, you don't need that much insulin. And in some cases, no insulin to get sugar into the muscles. And we could talk offline about a patient I have that's extremely remarkable. Like his story is unbelievable. But there are ways. If you're running on fat mostly, then how, how much sugar do you have to push into your muscles to exercise and be active? And I'm telling you, there's some great research that I happen to be privy to. Uh, Tim Noakes, Jeff Bullock, they're coming out with some studies that are just mind-blowing on exercise performance and low-carb and keto, right? And you know, doing it the right way. And so it, it, it's going to be really interesting um, uh, research. But yeah, you look at that. So Ben's workout is type, you, you stimulate type 2B muscle fibers, which are very insulin hungry. So when you do his exercise, your muscles are very active. Now there's a lot of exercise that you can do really maxing out sprinting work. And, but if you're 400 pounds, it's gonna be hard to sprint. So what his exercise is a slow workout. So you could just go there and do lightweights, like, you know, slow, slow up and down and you don't rest on the way down. A lot of us do like this, you know, but it's just doing it. It's slow controlled. And by doing that, you burn your muscles out. And I've seen because I, I, I wear a continuous glucose monitor and I would see my sugar's flat. So no matter how much sugar my liver kicked out, my muscles would soak it up after that workout, meaning you've depleted your glycogen stores to such an extent and you're just doing one set. You don't have to be there for five hours, right? So the other trend that's happening now, and I would love to hear your input on this too, I've been toying around with zone two training, meaning you're training at a lower, like it would be generally 180 minus your age and you try to keep it at that level. So it's a wimpy exercise. Like you're, you're going really slow, like barely either jogging or walking on the treadmill. 
but over time you could do more exertion to get, keep your heart rate at that same level and you recruit more mitochondria. There's a lot of, you know, and I know you talk a lot about mitochondria and that's a really important topic. If you recruit or, or produce more mitochondria, then when you really need it, you can really push it. And so there's, there's talk about, you know, the guys doing the tour de France, they're exercising at a low level. <laughs> they're not good. And then other days they do the interval training. So we don't know. I don't think we really know, but I asked Tim Noakes about his, I just interviewed him. And uh, he said, when you see the data, because I said, am I wasting my time doing zone two? Should I just do Ben's workout? What, what's the best combination? And there's always individual variation, right? Obviously, what Sean Baker is doing is working for him. I'm not going to go, oh, Sean, you got to change your program or what you're doing. Obviously, working. So I'm trying to catch up with you, right? So you go, what works for me ultimately? Do I like to do more sustained exercise? Do I like to do more weights? But putting muscle mass on is never going to be the wrong answer because you know one of the biggest uh, uh, indicators of survival if you end up in the intensive care unit is if you can stand up from a chair by yourself. If you can stand up by, from a chair by yourself, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's something like 96% survival rate, no matter what the damage was. But if someone has to pull you out of a chair and you can't do anything and they have to, it, it takes all their force to move you to another chair, your chance of survival goes down to like 16% or something. So then it's hospice, right? If you're old, older and you get these kind of injuries. So it, it's really critical. Plus you don't even think about it, like not falling and not hitting your head and, you know, all these kind of things that, you know, breaking a hip, you're, if you have a lot of muscle mass, you're going to have a better chance. So what I'm getting at is both of them are right. The more muscle mass you have, the longer you live. And there's data on that. The lower your insulin is, as long as your sugars are normal, the longer you live, right? So, and I just had Asim Malatra on. I don't know if you know. Of course, a, yeah. Yeah, great. great guy. Okay, yeah. And we were talking about that, and he was saying the same. He was, and I was making the point. I go, you could talk about the Piapi diet. You could talk about Mediterranean diet, but it's a lifestyle. They're not stressed out all day running around trying to go to, go to work and say, have a bigger car than everyone. They don't really care about that stuff. They said, oh, it's windy today. Okay, we're not fishing. Can you help me work on my yard? Okay. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like us being constantly stressed and constantly under pressure. And that's, that's one of the things I talked about in Utah is like, I have, I've noticed it. Not every expert I talk to about it, and you probably see the same too, is people who are massively stressed. They don't have time to prepare their food. They have two kids that are in trouble. Their kids in jail, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. When all that's happening and you're trying to be a real estate agent, you're trying to juggle, like they just don't lose weight and they don't get their sugars under control. And I'm like, there has to be something with this constant stress. And then you look at the effects of stress on the gut microbiome and on the brain chemistry and all this stuff. You think, oh gosh, yeah, we got to fix that problem. We can't just say eat keto and everything's going to be great. You, you got to fix the other problems, right? So some people oversimplify it and some people overcomplicate it, but it's like, okay, what can I do? Cause I was looking at, when I talked to Ben that day, I said, okay, of those five things, what do I have control over? Right. I was driving an hour to work and back every day. So I was like, okay, if I live closer to my work, then I could have time there and have more time with my wife and kids and my favorite place is home, but I had stressful days every day. So you start looking at those things and say, what can I do? If my boss is a jerk to me every day, well, maybe I need to look for a new job, right? Maybe I start looking for other stuff or fixing my relationship or all those other things that play a role because what we've observed is the people who fail, Tro and I have, and he brought it up first, so I'm just parroting what he said because it's true. The number one cause of failure on people trying to change lifestyle is stress, being under chronic stress. Number two, lack of family support. So if you're trying to eat low carb and exercise and, you know, no, don't go work out with Ben today. Let's just go eat cookies and hang out. Okay, we'll do that. So if you have someone, no, no, we're going, let's go. So when we have couples doing it together, they crush it, yeah. you know, you know, that peer pressure. Yeah. Peer, and, and what I've seen is when you start to make changes, you're, you're becoming a threat to everybody in your life who's not making those changes. So that's when there you get the peer pressure easier for them to drag you back down than for them to change. They start to feel threatened from what you're doing. 
Yeah, and they feel convicted and they go, oh, gosh, I don't want to eat pizza unless you have pizza. And, you know, I, I have it happen all the time. It's very interesting. But if you're, and, and uh, Triple J made that point. He said, when I was eating cookies and donuts and all this stuff, people would never say anything. And he was morbidly obese and diabetic and all that. But when it's just started saying, oh, no, I don't eat chips, I don't eat, they're like, that's too radical. You're too crazy. Yeah. And he's getting healthier and he's coming off his meds and, and everyone's giving him a bad time. It's like, wow, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, like how people think. It is remarkable. And it's a completely paradigm shift that we need to really implement because it's we have a lot of work to do. We, we know the stats. We, we know that the University of North Carolina put out that study in 2018 that showed only 12% of American adults are healthy before COVID. That's probably worse now. No, it's worse now. Yeah, there's no doubt Much about it. Worse stress. Now. Yeah, Which stress, not sleeping, stress worry. Part, yeah, the loneliness, the stress part, that's going to contribute to that. And, and it's predicted by the year 2030, in eight years, one in two American adults are going to be obese. Not overweight, but obese is their projection. Cancer's through the roof, heart disease is through the roof. But all of this is preventable. I always love Einstein's quote. He said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them, right? So, so my goal is to make geniuses out of everybody listening. And you're doing that with your work. That is that there's so much truth to that because it's funny because those of us with medical experience, we know we're not going to get the glory for it. Right. So if, you, if I tell you, change your oil, change your, your all your stuff on your car and your car never breaks down, you like you never realize you think, OK, I just drive my car forever and like your body. But the problem is we've glorified. Oh, we're getting, we can do a bypass surgery. We can do we can do great procedures on you. But wouldn't it be better to avoid those procedures in the first place if you have control over it? My gosh. Yes, that's what it's about. And we've lost that in medicine. There's no, there's no bonus for preventive medicine. So if I take someone off insulin, they all go, you know what? We're looking at what, what, how much that person would have cost us down the road. And that's part of the reason I left the standard model is because of that. I said, do you realize how much money I'm saving you to, to the head of an HMO? Yeah. And he said, Brian, do you know how much money you're costing us? Yeah. And I said, what? And he said, no, you're costing. I, how can I cost you my money by, by decreasing your, your dialysis and, and bypass surgeries and, and, and insulin and medication use? I'm taking people off meds. He said, we get reimbursed more by the government, the sicker the patient gets. Awful, dude. It's a, that's a crazy, that's a crazy thought. And, and I said, that's why I can't practice medicine yeah. with you anymore. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, right? It's, it's broken. We know that it's broken. So I heard Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He's yes. pa- yeah. He's passed on. Uh, he made a big yeah. difference. He still continues to make a big difference in my life. I wor- once heard him share in an audio book that his idea of like the perfect healthcare and this is never going to happen, but it's just a, a fun thought, would be to send your doctor a check or pay your doctor every month you're healthy. And once you manifest symptoms, you stop payment. <laughs> what an idea, huh? Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. That's kind of the, that would that would definitely change medicine for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's where you're, it, it is. And I was just thinking about this morning. I said, okay, if I want to get a certain diagnosis to go up, in the United, if I go, look, I get paid a buck for everyone who gets diagnosed with this problem. What do I do? I give every hospital group or hospital, I give you 50 cents for making that diagnosis. So people, oh, I get 50%, 50 cents every time I make that diagnosis. And you will not believe there's certain diagnosis codes that will pay a ton of money. And you're like, really? All I have to do is check their pulse. If their pulse is low on their foot, I get paid twice as much. Okay, I'll check everyone's pulse now and make sure, oh yeah, it's low. Seems low to me, right? So that's the problem. There's a conflict of interest and that it's a big problem. So my incentive now is doing direct primary care is like, look, you're paying me every month. You can come in a hundred times if you're sick and I'll help you. Uh, but that frees me up for, for, for the people who are, I, we get healthy and on the right track. I don't have to see them as frequently. And it's like AAA. You don't need AAA every day. You call them only when your car breaks down, <laughs> right? So if, you, if I get your car running fine, then I have an incentive that your car runs right. 
right? It's, it's, it's totally backwards how we're doing things. And I think there's going to be, there has to be changes coming. People are fed up. I mean, I talk to people every day. Patients are just, they're so disillusioned with medicine and the hospital system and how we do things and how our guidelines are happening. And, you know, so I think there's going to be doctors rising up who say, Hey, look, we got to, let's get you working out with Ben. How much money does that save the healthcare system? Someone just coming to you, learning nutrition, learning, making themselves better, you know, and, and letting them, I think the big thing, and, and again, you bring this a lot. And I think out of your experience with your dad too, you realize I can help people not go through what he went through. Professor Noak says the same thing. Gary Fetke says the same thing. All my friends in low carb, they're saying, gosh, dang it. I mean, these guys all sacrificed a great deal so that you and I could be talking now, really, you know, really, because they took the arrows. I mean, everyone went after these guys because they stood out and said, no, we're not doing it right. You know? And once you start realizing, yeah, we can really help people and, and we can help ourselves too. And I think what, what I was going to say is giving people hope and saying, look, we, we can put you into remission. We can get your numbers better. We can get you off meds, not making false promises, but saying we can do it. And it's, it's funny because you know, conditions that used to give me stress because people would come to me at my old practice and they would have fatty liver disease, diabetes, a hypertension. And you look and you're like, it's a train wreck, right? And that's probably why I came up with the train analogy because train wrecks, like I don't like train wrecks. But you go, okay, now I look and I go, oh, you have high insulin levels. We can fix that. If we work together, we can fix that. I know that's fixable. Like to say, oh, your car's broken down, but we don't have that part. We can't get it. Too bad, <laughs> right? No one wants to hear that. You want to say, hey, yeah, I've done this a hundred times. Here's what we're going to do. Let's get the game plan. Let's work together and do it, right? But the patient has to be ready and we have to be ready. We have to be that support and we have to figure out the, the most difficult part is this part, the brain, right? Like that's what you do is figure out the brains. Like how do I motivate you to get to the gym? How do I motivate you not to eat those cookies? How do you look at and see if it's worth it or not worth it with what you're doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That mindset part is is so important. And, and on my podcast, we talk a lot, not just about keto. I bring on people to talk about the mindset, how to set boundaries, how to have conversations with people in your life. So they're on board with what you do. I, I remember Tony Robbins speaking about um, th this topic of, you know, your two futures, right? If you're struggling with symptoms or struggling with relationships or whatever it is, you have challenges in your life and you don't change, like go ahead of time and, and look at what your life would look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, like live in that future of what will happen to you as things continue to go down this wrong direction. So you live in that pain and experience that. And then he talks about, okay, what happens if you make a change, if you do low carb, if you do intermittent fasting, if you work with Dr. Brian, what does that future look like? So he puts both futures in front of you and essentially we're in control of decisions that we make. And a lot of people think it's going to happen overnight. I want to drop my A1C overnight. I want to get my fasting insulin down overnight, but it took you many, many years to get there. So we, you know, we need to understand it's not going to happen overnight, but you can continue to get better. But something that can happen rapidly fast is fatty liver. And I know Dr. Sivas has something that you shared about fatty liver with uh, what he's seen on those scans. Could you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, he, we were sitting there with Gary Talves and we were talking about fatty liver disease, what a problem it is. And, and Rob kind of just arrogant. I didn't know him at the time. He arrogantly says, yeah, I don't do surgery with people with fatty liver disease. I said, what kind of surgeon are you? Gastric bypass and liver transplant. I was like, everyone has fatty liver disease. What do you do? Surgery on 1% of the people? And he said, no, we cure it. Then we do the surgery. I'm like, what do you mean you cure it? Like, how long does that take? Three days, probably sooner, but we only check at three days. We do biopsies and ultrasounds. I'm like, what? What do you do? Two days of ketogenic diet, one day of fasting in the hospital. 
And you go, what? <laughs> I'm like, and Gary Taub said, he called the BS card. He said, impossible. That's not true. And he goes, here's my data. You want to see it? Here's my, I have it on my laptop. And you think, holy cow. I mean, that's pretty dramatic. And he has some great, great insight into these things. But obviously that's, you know, I mean, he had a, he says he has a hundred percent reversal, but you think, okay, why well, if it takes me three weeks? Is that better than not doing anything? Like, do you just say, this is what I got? And I'm just going to, you know, getting that diagnosis is really scary for people because we know what fatty liver disease, you're going to, you're metabolically sick and you're metabolically sick. Your risk of dying of all these diseases that we worry about these days goes up. So can we fix that problem? Yes. And that's why a lot of us got frustrated with public health, not saying, Hey, we can make you metabolic. We've had two years now, guys, <laughs> right? We've had two years to make ourselves healthier. So some of my patients, like I see my patients and like I look at them now compared to two years ago, they were sitting ducks to die of COVID really. And then two years later, I look at them and say, I feel a lot better about your chances, right? You're off your insulin, your meds are, because I talk to the world experts and they say, look, the biggest scare we have is high sugar, high insulin, obesity, but it's not all obesity. Like we said there, you can be obese and metabolically healthy and you're going to survive this darn thing. But it's the visceral fat and the high insulin, the high infl inflamed state before you get these things. So you, you have to look at it and say, my job is the doctors to look and say, what's the most likely thing to kill you or kill me? What do I need to work on? So at, at that time, when I talked to Ben, it was stress. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take a big pay cut. I'm like, I've done that before. I can deal it. I talked to my wife and she said, get out of there, do your own thing. I'm like, you know how much we're going to be hurting? She goes, yeah, but in a year, we won't be hurting, right? You, you know, if you believe what you're doing, you do it. And so it's amazing. Sometimes you have, even if you're in a, if you're in a bad relationship and you're getting beaten all the time, at some point you have to say, okay, I got to make a change. I got, we either go get counseling. We got to figure this problem out because it, it's non-sustainable. And so for me, I knew it was, even though I was making good money, I knew it was non-sustainable. So I would rather take the pay cut. And I'll tell you just for people listening who are struggling, in their career path or, or relationship stuff. You know, we had dinner with our neighbors the other day and my neighbors would, just so you know, my background, my neighbors would tease me because I would leave in the dark and I'd come home in the dark. And my neighbor said, you save so much money, Brian. I said, how's that? And he said, you never have to wash your car. We never see it. It's dark when we leave and it's dark when you come back. So you never have to wash your car. And I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy, huh? And so we had dinner with my neighbors and they asked my wife, they go, Brian, don't say anything. Lena, what changed since he changed his career path? And she goes, He's a different person. He's laughing more. He's not stressed. He's not, when you're under chronic stress, it's not good. And I knew it wasn't good, but what do you do? You're, you know, you got med school loans, you got responsibilities and family obligations and all those things. But yeah, it's getting your priorities right. And that's why life's best medicine. I love saying what's, you know, I talk to all these people and, and really you say, where do you go to when you're, everything's, and I'll, I'll get to ask you all this stuff. So I'm excited to have you on pretty soon. But it's like, you know, I say, where do you go when everything's terrible, when there's no hope and the world is falling apart and you think there's no, nothing, you know, things aren't going to get better. What do you do? You know, do you look at your intellect? Do you pray? Do you go to yoga? You know, do you go work out with Ben? What do you do? What do you do when things are tough? And keeping the right attitude, the attitude's a huge deal. Like I see, like Ben, I'll tell you, I mean, that's why I love talking to you. You see people and you go like, you don't have the right attitude starting out because you're thinking, I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. I don't, and other people come in and they go, what do we do? Let's do this thing, right? Some people want to dive into the deep end and go. And other people say, let me just get in slowly. And it's figuring out what works for you ultimately. Like what works for you? If I tell you, you can never have bread again the rest of your life. You're like, okay, I don't want to do this. But if you say, hey, look, if you make great sourdough bread and you want to do that every once in a while, okay, let's, we'll make an exception. Let's figure it out. You work out with Ben a little extra and we, you know, I mean, you try to figure out how to have that balance in life. And I knew I was out of balance working, you know, 18 hour days, 16 hour days and, and being stressed all day and rushing around and not wanting to deal with people anymore because you're just burned out and done. So now if I have an hour with you, let's sit and talk like this, like being able to spend an hour with you is great. I couldn't do this before. I wouldn't have time to do it, you know? Yeah. 
No, I, I love that. It's a great, perfect example of you making that decision to better your life, better your relationship by taking responsibility. I, I do think that's where it all starts, like taking that ownership and responsibility. And I agree about the attitude. It's like your attitude going into anything. I will take a good attitude over any intellect, any experience, any day, because at least they're willing to grow and learn and expand. And I'm like, I feel like I'm like that. If I'm getting coached by somebody and my coach tells me, okay, in order for you to get this result that I want to get, I need you to stand in the corner upside down every single day for 30 minutes. I do it for an hour, right? It's like, that person has the fruit on their tree and they're telling me what to do. Like I am a hundred percent in, I was not always like that. I was the actual opposite of being obese, video game addiction, drug addiction. So if I could change, I mean, anybody could, could change Brian. And here's where I want to leave the conversation as we wrap this conversation and land the plane. Um, you have two amazing podcasts, one with Dr. Tro it's called low carb MD podcast. It's a favorite of mine. Everybody go subscribe to that. And now you have a new, a newer podcast. It's not that new, it's over 100 episodes, but it's Life Best Medicine, which is another great podcast. So share a little bit about those two podcasts, and then where else can the audience go check you out? Yeah, Low Carb MD. You know, obviously we started that when Fedkey and, and Noakes were going through their stuff, and and the stimulus was I, you know, the two keto dudes were cool enough to have me on. I'm like, are you guys not, you guys, you haven't vetted me. You have no idea who I am. They're like, come on, tell us your story. And so that was really cool. And then they go, you should start your own podcast. I'm like, I don't want to do a podcast by myself. I'm just one guy and I'm not that exciting. So I was looking around, I found Tro and I go, Hey Tro. And then Jason says, Hey, and I said, Jason, would you come on as a guest? He goes, I'd rather collaborate with you guys than be a guest. I'm like, okay, cool. So we kind of worked on that. We, you know, three knuckleheads throwing our heads together. And Jason was the only one with any sense. So he had to deal with me and Tro for a while, but you know, just saying, Hey, how do we help? more people. We want to get the word out because what, as a physician, you don't want to be the outlier, right? As Noakes and Fedke, we learned that. And I said, okay, guys, look, it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk because if the standard of care is wrong, we have to change the standard of care. The only way to do that is to say, look, we have 500 doctors we've interviewed and we have probably close to that by now of doctors and, and health practitioners and people out there who are making huge difference and hear their stories and hear, hear the patients doing well, hear the testimonies. There's nothing more powerful in religion anywhere than someone's testimony. Like your testimony of saying, I was, you know, on drugs and hooked on drugs and playing video games and obese, and then something changed. And now you're helping other people out of the wilderness, right? So that's what low carb MD is about to have people who are, we really want to reach people who are at the end of their rope and say, look, I, I just can't do this. I get, you know, there's no hope for me and give you a little bit of hope to get moving forward. So the crazy thing is, so out of that became, we would talk and I would ask people like, Hey, tell me about faith or tell me what got you through it when you were hurting, when you were at your bottom, what did you do? How did you flip that switch? Right? So you can prepare. I'm going to ask you that stuff. And so, you know, but some people it was religious, whatever it was. And then people would email me say, you know, don't talk about that religious stuff. We want to hear keto. We don't want to hear about that. And I go, well, that that's kind of an important thing. It's, it, you know, for some people that's their coping mechanism, just like yoga or whatever it is. Or we, we, you have faith that you lean back when everything's terrible. We go, okay, things will get better. I'm not going to worry about, so I can't fix it all. So that's what the life's best medicine is saying. Okay. Besides just lifestyle. What is it? Well, I mean, just diet. And what about the other stuff like sleep and stress? So I have people come on and tell, you know, people like you who are experts and say, well, what's your backstory? Like Sean Baker, why are you the way you are? Like, how did you get here? You know, Jason Fung, how did you get here? Like he was going to be a, a engine mechanic or, or a engineer. And you go, how'd you not do that? You know? So it's cool to hear the backstory. Like professor Noakes, I just got in. What an honor, you know, him and Gary Fetkin, like, how did you keep going? Why did you not give up? So that's more about those kind of things of how, how in life, like, what do you do when things are rough? How do what makes you through what motivates you to help other people? And what we find is people like you, Ben is, I think a lot of it is being at peace and being able to say, I want to make an impact. 
You spend those time educating, learning, and learning philosophy, and we all need to learn those things because a lot of people just don't have time. So we need someone like you to distill it down and go, what about this guy? And they go, oh, I'll read Dyer's stuff, right? Or I'll read someone else's stuff. So I think it's it's so important to, to realize, look, and I've even gotten heat from the, some of the low-carb people. Why are you talking about all the other stuff? I'm like, that all contributes because I'm seeing the patient. I have to look at the whole patient, not just, just what they put in their mouth because the stress and the, all these things we know makes you fail. We have to address, if you don't address stress, good luck or hectic life or how do we simplify things for all of us? I know for myself, we all know how do I, you know, what can I do? What do I set? The, like you're talking about setting boundaries. What do you do to have a better life, right? Just because you don't eat cookies isn't going to make your life great. If you're a jerk to everyone, and you're mad at everyone all day and you're bitter because you can't eat cookies, right? So you say, well, man, what would work for you? You know, so I think all those things, that's, that's kind of the long-winded answer of what it's about. But I, I love them both. They're both like, you know, it's just so great to learn like you're doing. I pick up little things from each guest and I go, oh, and it makes me a better doctor. It makes me a better person to say, oh, I never thought about that way, Ben. And having people like you, and, and I think all of us hopefully are the same. If we're wrong and we get new data, we say, hmm. New data's come along. We have to address that, like you did, taking out all your videos. One of my friends did that, too, and he's a sports nutrition guy here in San Diego, and he was annoyed with me because he changed his whole nutrition. Then Ben Bikikio comes along. He had to change his whole exercise, and all these people are looking at him like, have you lost your mind? You changed your, everything you're doing. And so, so people like you, I respect that because it's not easy. It's a lot of time and expense to change those things and, and make sure you're up to date with the newest research. So keep up the good work, man. Honored to be here with you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. And you went from, you know, being concerned about one podcast to now having two podcasts, which is awesome. So everybody go subscribe to both of the podcasts, Low Carb MD and Life's Best Medicine. Uh, Dr. Brian's website is lowcarbmdsandiego.com. Any social media you want to send them to? Yeah, I'm just, uh, got to be, I'm at, at Brian Linskis on, uh, I think on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, but I'm not as, as prolific as you on Instagram. I'm, you, you guys were trying to teach me that stuff. I'm old. I'm trying to, to get back in there, but I like it. I like it a lot. So yeah, I'm at, at Brian Linskis on both. We'll put everything down below. Brian, I want to acknowledge you for your amazing work research, just how you, how you show up in this world. I connected with you the moment we met and the moment I saw you speak. And I just love what you're doing. You're an authentic, genuine human being who really cares about the world, cares about humans, and you want to make a difference. And you are. So thank you for your time. I look forward to more conversations with you. I look forward to going on your show and just keep doing what you're doing. It's helping a lot of people. All right. Hey, thanks, Ben. Same, same goes to you. I, I love what you're doing. And it's an honor. I was like, oh, he's going to have me on. He doesn't realize he's, he's taking a big step down. But no, it's great. It's great to be here. And, and I'm glad everything you're doing and the motivation you have and the impact you're making. We all work together. We all have our niche. We all have things we can contribute. You know, some people won't like my style. They'll like your style. So, hey, find the person, you know, if you're not happy, like you're not getting results, find the person who's going to get get you motivated and, and get in your, in your mind. And, and probably the most important person is you. And realizing, okay, what do I want? And don't lose track of what where, where the end goal is. And, and I think that's great advice. Be patient. It's not going to happen in a week. You're going to hear stories everywhere about these miracles. I lost 50 pounds in a week. Not going to happen right? without an amputation probably. But, uh, you know, I think it's just staying the course and, and uh, you know, just trusting the process and one step at a time and make little tweaks when you got to and, and just one step at a time. That's right. I always say small tweaks lead to giant peaks. So thank you, Brian. Thank you for your time. Hey, Ben. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Brian. He is awesome. Go subscribe to his podcast, both of them, Low Carb MD and Life's Best Medicine Podcast. 
Go check out his website, lowcarbmdsandiego.com. And please share this episode with somebody you know. Share it on social media. If you want to watch the video version of this interview with Dr. Brian, that could be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash keto camp. Please consider leaving the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening from. I want to thank you for spending part of your day with Brian and myself, and I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.